In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I had a professor in seminary who at one point said that if you live in a town close to a seminary, the very best day of the entire year to skip church is Trinity Sunday, the Sunday after Pentecost, which happens to be today. Uh, The reason is that it's a pretty daunting task to preach about the Trinity. What's a trinity? Three in one, what's that all about? How does it work? So many ministers sort of pass off the task of trying to explain this holy trinity to a local seminarian, someone who is actively studying this perhaps and is eager to show off the recent comprehension of St. Augustine's De Trinitate. Of course, this never goes well. Uh, much like a college freshman coming home from their very first or for their very first fall break, eager to explain the ways of the world to their parents, nobody wants to hear a fresh seminarian explain the Trinity to them on a Sunday morning. And I can say this because I gave a couple of really terrible Trinity Sunday sermons uh, at a church, an unfortunate congregation down in Chapel Hill five or six or seven years ago. So today, this Trinity Sunday, I'm going to do my best to speak as little as possible about the actual Trinity. I'm not going to unpack it and explain it to you because today, whatever day you might be watching this video, you haven't tuned in, I'm guessing, I'm willing to bet, you haven't tuned in to hear some argument or some lecture on philosophic theology. Instead, I have no doubt that you're watching this hoping to hear something good hoping to hear something comforting, to hear a message of good news, to perhaps lower your blood pressure, to be inspired or imagine or experience something that draws the presence of peace that passes all understanding a little bit closer to you and closer to your life. In our reading that Dave just read from Isaiah 6, we're given a vision of the Lord sitting powerfully on a throne, high and lofty. It's a striking image, one that leaves you feeling small and underneath some mighty authority. We may shy away from words like authority and power today in our society, where we regularly hear about or perhaps experience uh, abuses and misuses of power. But perhaps this is a picture that, in fact, brings you a little bit of comfort. Maybe your life feels out of order, out of control, and you're hoping and praying that there's someone else behind and above it all who is truly in control. But regardless of whether you're looking for or you're fleeing from authority in your life, authority like we see here, the high and the lofty sort, it can leave us feeling distant or alone if all we have is the image of a king sitting up on some throne in the clouds. And this is where the one-two punch of this passage lands for me, because it doesn't end with some royal portrait, simply promising us a distant presence of authority and control. Instead, the passage that Dave just read concludes with these verses. Then one of the seraphs flew down to me, Flew to me, flew to you, right here where we sit, in the midst of our gritty and real lives. 
holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. According to this passage, God's control and presence, His authority and power and grace in our lives doesn't stay up there on the throne waiting for us to ascend. Rather, it appears to descend down to us. It touches us in the flesh and heals us of our guilt, of our sins and our fears. A friend of ours in their 70s recently had a couple of pretty serious uh, surgeries and procedures. It was a scary moment. Afterwards, they reflected on their experience and the surprising level of peace and calm that overcame them to a degree and in a way that could have only come from God Himself. And the peace took the form of a deep focus on, as he sought, the only two things that matter. Or for him, in that moment, the only two things that mattered. He was surprisingly not concerned with his past, with the ups and downs of his own story. Instead, he was captivated by these two questions. Where am I going after this? And do I have someone to sit here with me to hold my hand? When I first heard this, it really moved me because after all, these are the questions at the root of so much of our fear and anxiety regardless of what stage of life we find ourselves in. Where am I going after this? And do I have someone to sit here with me to hold my hand? Where are we going? Is there someone or something that's in control? So in control, in fact, that they have prepared a place for us on this side of the grave and beyond it. Well, the answer that we hear throughout Scripture, and if we're given the gift of seeing and feeling this throughout our own lives, is a profound yes. There is a God who sits upon the throne of our lives who has made us, who provides for us and delivers us out of the darkness of our days and into the peace of His mercy. Do we have someone to sit here with us in the midst of adversity who can simply hold our hand? Well, of course, we all respond to this question in our own particular ways. Some of us might go to a place of uh, gratitude for their friend or spouse who they trust and rely on, while others might be saddened by the reminder that they're painfully alone, searching for a partner or a community, while others struggle with uh, a thought of a broken relationship, an imperfect one, or perhaps the loss of a loved one. But the Gospel gives us a universal truth. One that's absolute and unchanging regardless of circumstances. A truth that directs us to an already present reality. That there is one among us. Beside each and every one of us, someone more reliable, more trustworthy, and more merciful than any spouse or friend ever could be. Someone who in fact is even more in control of our lives thank God, than we are. 
And this is because at the heart of the Christian story, think back to Christmas, is that word Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus listens to the stories of the people he meets who are suffering. He listens to us. He's present with them and he's present with us. He holds their hands and through the Holy Spirit, we've all been brought into that story. That ancient story that's become a modern story. A story that has in fact become our very realities. You might have noticed that maybe in a not so sneaky way, I've actually talked about the Trinity in one way or another throughout this sermon. And that's because while we might not know exactly how the Trinity works, and I would uh, question someone who claims to know that answer, we do know, we are told, time and time again, how God works. God is in control, sitting high on a throne of authority over all His creation, most notably you and me in a way that can sound and seem very other or out or up there. But at the same time, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are extremely near. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us, dwelled and died for us. The Spirit is with us and in us. We have a perfect and loving companion this side of the grave, and it just so happens that that companion is the same God who has prepared a place for us on that side of the grave. I'll close this brief Trinity Sunday sermon with a blessing that I've had the privilege of giving to a few men and women on their deathbeds. For me, it's as good a description of the Trinity at work as it gets. And it comes from our prayer book. And it's just as powerful and hopeful and telling of God's ways with us and for us on our first day of life as it is on our last. So please close your eyes for a moment and hear these words for you today. Depart, O Christian soul, out of this world. In the name of God, the Father Almighty who created you. In the name of Jesus Christ who redeemed you. In the name of the Holy Spirit, who sustains you. May your rest be this day in peace and your dwelling place in the paradise of God. Amen.